most wonderful show is Keeping Up With The Joneses. Hello, Mr. Jones. Hello, Mrs. Jones. How are you? I'm well. How are you? That's because you've just come back from a wedding. It's true. And you were always well when you were a wedding. I like to be social. Do you know why I like to be social tonight? For the reward of cake. <laughs> you took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> For the reward of delicious wedding cake. Yes. Made by the mother of the bride. Yes, it was fantastic, oh, I have it was to say. so good. Well, we've had an interesting week, haven't we, babe? Yeah, could say that. Interesting with a capital. Ah! <laughs> How are you doing? I am good. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about last week, we found out that my father had passed away while on vacation in Croatia. Which, Suddenly. <laughs> which... <laughs> Well, it's not like he went on vacation to die. No, yes. <laughs> I guess any time you die on vacation, it's suddenly. Yes. <laughs> and we uh, have been amazed at the amount of red tape it takes to get a body back from Croatia to Britain. And at this point, I need to take my hat off to my two sisters who are doing an amazing job at navigating all of that. Oh my gosh, they're just amazing. They're ninjas. Yes. Absolute ninjas. So yeah, if you've just yeah. joined the podcast or you've skipped a few episodes and you're like, wait, what happened? Last week... Yeah, my father died while on vacation, had a massive heart attack. So we're just trying to sort out the ensuing stuff that happens um, when somebody dies overseas. So it's been a bit bewildering this week. It hasn't helped that all of us got sick. No, that did not help. All of us went down with some sort of stomach bug. The the immediate effects of which would last for about four hours. Yeah. We'll go no further in in that. But the (laughs) the overall feeling lasted about 24 hours. Yeah. So you got it, what, Monday? I uh, I did. I got it Monday. I'm I'm wondering if the reason I got it was that MJ was actually sick on Thursday. Right. And we thought it was because of ice cream mm-hmm. because he basically never eats ice cream. And the last time he had had this particular ice cream, he had vomited. So when, we, when he vomited and he only threw up once, we were like, oh, it's ice cream. And... You know, there was some residue on my pillow that I just flipped over because we hadn't had time because the next day your dad oh died. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I am horrible. I'm just finding this out. So You I are think, horrible. I think that's how I got sick, maybe. I don't know. I don't know how so long I was bugs live on. sleeping in a Petri dish. Yeah, no, I was sleeping in a Petri dish. I was sleeping next to you. Yeah, you were kissing a Petri dish. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, hindsight is twenty twenty. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You didn't need hindsight for that. <laughs> well, okay, it wasn't my best move, but I forgot about it. I flipped it over in the middle of the night because I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, it's three in the morning. I don't care. And then I totally forgot about it until I got sick. And then I thought, oh, I never washed my pillow. That's so, gross. Yeah, I know. So you got sick on Monday. Yeah. Then I got sick on Tuesday. Yeah, and Abigail. Yeah, we were both useless. Yeah. And then Wednesday, poor Tia got sick. Yeah, Tia went down just before going to bed. She was started complaining about her stomach and then voila. Oh my gosh. So yeah, I was out for the count for the first part of the week. So everyone's like, how are you feeling about your dad? And I'm like, oh, how am I feeling about my dummy? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, crazy week, but... It was an exhausting Thankfully, week. if anyone gets it, it doesn't last long, which is really, really good. Yeah. In, in the middle of all of that, you decided to start painting the kitchen. I did. And yeah. it looks amazing. I love it. It's not done, but it no. looks amazing. It's it's getting there, isn't it? Do you want to talk about how we ended up with two gallons of spare paint? <laughs> well, here's the thing. So... Mm-hmm. For the guest room, for the bathroom, I had picked a color called Barely Teal, which was supposed to be a very light aqua type color. And to your credit, on the paint sample, 
It looks like a very light Barely teal. Barely teal. I mean, it looks like white with a tiny hint of maybe some sort of teal-esque color. Yes. But turns out inside of a very small bathroom with no windows, it looks very teal, not barely teal. Yep. And uh, I had bought two gallons of it because I planned on doing it also in the guest bedroom, but we just felt this is just way too much. But you were going to do it on all three walls and then you had another color for an accent wall. Yeah. But once we saw it, we were like, uh, Uh, no, no, no no to the max. Right. Um, But it actually looks fantastic in the kitchen. Well, it's because the kitchen is massive. The kitchen's massive. And has tons of daylight. Has tons of daylight and has dark cabinets and dark granite. So having a nice light color to sort of set it off, it looks really nice. So want, I'm I'm happy about that. Do you want to talk about my sine wave moment for the first couple of days? Oh my gosh, you were so funny. So I painted just like one wall and then a portion of the two side walls, you know, just before I went down with the illness. Mm-hmm. And so it felt like every two hours you changed your mind as to whether you liked it. Like you'd come out in the morning, you'd be like, oh, this is beautiful. I love it. Oh, I'm so happy. It makes me happy, blah, blah, blah. Then like two hours later, you come out, you'd be like, oh, this is too much. We're going to have to paint it. We're going to have to switch the whole kitchen to gray, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then like an hour later, you'd be like, oh, it's beautiful. I was like, listen, at this point, I'm ignoring everything you're saying because it's, this is the color it is. Ta-da. After a week, I quite like it. Yes. It is intense at night when it's, again, I think the trick is to have natural light illuminating it. I think intense is too strong a word. I'm sorry, when the LED lights are on, I'm thinking we're going to have to burn down our kitchen and rebuild. Okay. But maybe that's a little intense. I don't know. That's maybe a bit much. My emotions might be all over the place. The disadvantage of starting to paint the downstairs is that you become very aware of the builder's beige that is everywhere else. Mm -hmm. Bummer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's amazing that paint is a fairly affordable transformation tool it really is yep all right then friday our poor kids if you if you guys can pray for anything pray for our kids who i think are fine with grandpa's passing because they you know they see grandpa once a year and and you know maybe facetime with him once a month or so mm-hmm. and but i think they are they're feeling the flux of us because basically for this like just just today i booked my flights to come home so i haven't yeah. known when the funeral is or, you know, when anything's happening. So they've been feeling our influxness and they've been feeling our busyness as our schedule is out of whack. And so they're... Yeah, and everything for them is changing, isn't it? Like we were going to be on vacation. Now we're not going to be on vacation. So everything for them is just feeling like they don't know where to put their foot down. Yeah. And Bertia's birthday is coming up and there was a big chance I wasn't going to be here for it, which I think she was more upset about than anything else. Yeah. So we tried to do something fun. We tried to do a family day on Friday. We went off to Nashville Shores, which is a big water park. And then we took Tia for her early family lunch, which she loved at the Rainforest Cafe. Now, let's talk about the Rainforest Cafe for introverted parents who are a little bit maxed. Good idea, bad idea? Bad idea. I mean, I'm already really sensitive sensory-wise, And of course, you know, there's a thunderstorm that happens every 15 minutes and, you know, animals that are screeching and moving. And And we were right beside the ape section. Yes. And then, of course, sitting next to a fish tank and MJ would loudly call out every color of fish that would, you know, swim by every two minutes. And it just got to where it was like, I just need to get out of here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
But anyway, she was thrilled. She was thrilled. So we just managed ourselves and then eventually just sort of went, we've got to get out of here. You pay the bill. I'll take the kids out, you know, mm-hmm. so, but we made it. And there was no bloodshed, which was good. It was really good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then today, that brings us up to today. We had Trent and Morgan's wedding. Yes. Congratulations, guys. It was great to Ooh, marry you. So great. And oh my gosh, Morgan looks stunning. Mm-hmm. Just stunning. So yeah, it was a lovely wedding. I had no idea there was a massive mansion in the middle of East Nashville. N- no clue whatsoever. It's so pretty. Like I just thought the grounds were so pretty and I just was, I thought the venue was lovely. While we're in the season of sorting out funeral details from the other side of the world, We're kind of cheating at podcasts. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, what I mean by that is we're here talking to you, dear podcasters, like we normally do on a normal week. Um, And we love that. I I put out last week something on social media about like, hey, sorry, we're kind of deviating from our normal format. We do want to get something out for you. And one of our listeners is so sweet saying, oh, honestly, you need to prioritize your family. Don't worry about the podcast. But we actually quite enjoy just pausing and out of the business of our week and recapping our week and just talking about what we've loved and reflecting on something God's done. It, it is an awful lot of work, but it is joy. And so we're trying to keep some semblance of normality and routine. The trouble is we're not going to do a real episode probably for the next couple of weeks. We'll, we'll probably do the probably do what we did last week and again what we're doing this week, which is chat, catch up, just try and actually connect with everybody. But then what we want to do is, because we don't have the bandwidth to record, edit, and produce a normal episode, which takes a number of hours, what we're trying to do is include a message that we've spoken before that we absolutely love somewhere, that we think would encourage you. And it's win-win. We get to sit down and be with you, albeit in a in a shorter manner. And also you get something that's hopefully encouraging to start your week off with. So AJ, what is this week's message about? This week's message is actually about Esther. Ooh. Yes. And uh, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil it, but you know, essentially we're talking about how God always wins. So. I thought you were going to say, I don't want to spoil it, but there's aliens in this one. <laughs> oh, well, there I, may be aliens. You won't know unless you listen. <laughs> I don't remember any aliens, but it's possible. And so you spoke this at Emanate? Yes. Okay, well, before we play that message, just wanted to say thank you for all the love. I've really appreciated all the emails and Facebook posts and Instagram comments and you guys reaching out this week. We really, really appreciate it. And if you just started listening to our podcast, this is not our typical format. It's just the season that we're in right now. It's an easy balance while we are sorting out some more pressing things. We will be back to our regular programming post-funeral in in a few weeks. Um, But lastly... We just wanted to let you know that we have an eight-month school here in Franklin, Tennessee, uh, that is called the School of Supernatural Life. And we have been seeing amazing transformation happen in the lives of our students uh, for about six years now. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty exciting. The application deadline for the school is actually fast approaching. It's June 15th. Wow. So, yeah, that's the deadline. Um, If you are interested in hearing some information about it, go ahead and listen to episode 152. And you can hear all about the school and hear some of the testimonies of people that have actually been there and what the school has done for them. You know, that's been that episode has been one of the most listened to episodes of any episode we've ever produced. Wow. Right. And it's only, what, a couple of weeks old. Yes. And it's already been downloaded more than almost any other message. That's amazing. I know. People love it. Well, people want transformation. And people love hearing stories about it. Yeah. 
If you want to apply to school or just even learn more, go to gracecenter.us slash school. And like AJ said, you've got until June 15th to apply for fall entry to the school, which starts in September of this year. All right, we're going to leave you with AJ talking about Esther. There may be UFOs. There may be dinosaurs in it. Who can know? You're going to have to listen to the whole thing. Yep, you're just going to have to listen. And we'll be back with you next week. Have a wonderful week, guys. Thanks for the grace, guys. When when Alan and I went on vacation in, when did we go on vacation, baby? June? June, July. It was sometime it was hot. Okay. And um, so we went on vacation and we were uh, suffering for Jesus in North Myrtle Beach. And um, I remember one particular day I was, you know, looking off of our balcony at all these little colorful um, umbrellas on the beach. And um, the Lord just said to me, I want you to go and read Esther. And I was like, okay. I mean, I love the book of Esther anyway, so it's not like I'm going, no, God. It's not like Leviticus. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not a hard reading. I'm like, okay, yeah, totally. Go read Esther. And so I read Esther, and the Lord was talking to me about a few things. And then um, the next day, I read Esther again, and then the Lord said, I want you to read Ruth. And I was like, oh, okay. So I read Ruth. And then the Lord started talking to me and, and saying, hey, do you notice any similarities here? And I, I honestly would have to say I never have before. But I started to go, oh my gosh, Lord, there's some major keys in these books about actually how you're asking us to live and walk before you. And so um, today's message is brought to you by two women in the Bible. Esther and Ruth. Now, gentlemen, it still applies to you. It's quite okay. You don't have to have any particular level of estrogen for this to actually work for you today. Okay? Um, But these two women and their story specifically are going to tell us some keys, actually, that hopefully help us walk into what God has for us. Um, and I'm aware, even as I'm going to start talking about this stuff, that what I'm going to talk about isn't the popular message right now, especially with our age group. Our, do you like how I lumped me in with you? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> let's not go there. Let's not go there. Um, but it seems like it's almost cooler right now to be grumpy and disenfranchised with the church than to actually be a part of a church, right? And um, while it may seem cooler and trendy, it isn't biblical. Sorry. So um, my message this evening may not be that popular, but actually, as I reflect on what our jobs are as pastors, it's to talk about stuff whether we like it or not and whether it's popular or not because otherwise I'm not doing my job. Right? Three of you agree. Okay. They're with me. They're with me. So let's first talk a little bit about Esther. How many of you are like, I've never heard the story of Esther before. I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay. So Esther is a book in the Old Testament somewhere near the beginning just after uh, Judges, I think. And now I'm going to be confused as to whether I'm confusing Ruth and Esther. I think I'm confusing, yes. So Ruth is just after Judges. Work with me on this. So in the story of Esther, Esther actually is um, a Jewish girl that is living under the kingship 
of a king named Xerxes. Actually, depending on what uh, translation you use, there's another name that I can't pronounce. Do you know what I'm talking about? It starts with an A. It's like A-H and then 48 letters after it. Or if you go with like the NIV, it's Xerxes. So I went with that. Um, And Xerxes as a king is kind of driven by the wind. Do you understand that expression? He seems to be really concerned with what other people are thinking all the time and makes a lot of his decisions based on what his nobles will think of him. So he's definitely given to fear of man, you know, definitely sort of makes his decisions in a different way maybe than we would prefer, okay? And so at the beginning of the story of Esther, um, Xerxes is holding a party, essentially, and he asks, his, he asks his queen Vashti to come in and dance. She refuses to dance. And so he's like, huh, what should I do about this? And he turns to these, you know, basically young pups that are his, you know, comrades and says, what should we do? And they're like, oh, can't have a woman say no to you because then all the women and all the land will say no and horrible killer. And so basically uh, he doesn't have her killed, but he has her removed and she's removed as queen. Okay. And then they start looking for a new queen for Xerxes. So far, am I getting this right? Anybody have any confusion about what we're doing here? Okay. So So they're looking for new queens. So they say, bring all the beautiful virgins. It's funny how often this happens in scripture. (laughs) Anyway, uh, bring all the... the (laughs) It's a different message for a different time. Um, Bring all the beautiful virgins and uh, have them prepared. And basically, they're all going to be brought in before the king. And afterwards, they're going to become one of his concubines. But during this process, he's going to pick one of them as queen. I don't think I'd want to sign up for that, right? But anyway, they all get brought in. And among them is Esther or Hadassah. Um, And so Esther gets brought in. And Esther right away has an enormous amount of favor on her life. So um, Haggai, who is um, one of the eunuchs that oversees these women before they go in to, to the king and oversees their preparations, he notices her and he gives her special treatment. He gives her the best sweets and he gives her the, like the best maids and the best everything. He Now, think about this for a second. What would cause him to notice her? Because what we know is they've gotten all the most beautiful girls in the land. So there's lots of beautiful women there. Have you ever noticed that people with a really great attitude stand out regardless of whether they look like the most model-like person in the room? Right? There's something about an incredible attitude and personality that actually draws you to people even more than their looks do. So something causes this uh, eunuch to actually show her favor. And so she spends 12 months preparing in a bunch of like different oils and frankincense and myrrh and all the cool stuff, right? And, um, and then she's brought into the king and it says basically right away he falls in love with her. He's just like, that's it. It's her. She's the one, okay? So she's made queen and she has an uncle who is named Mordecai, okay? And Mordecai is kind of one of the elders in the city, and he sits by the gate. 
And, um, you know, Mordecai's a good dude. He's a solid, righteous guy, okay? Now, during this time, another guy that's part of the king's court is a guy named Haman. And Haman is actually made sort of second in the land under the king. And Haman is not a good dude. That's like the um, NIV version. It says, not a good dude. Yeah. Um, and so uh, Haman, basically, the king says everybody should be bowing down to Haman because that's what Haman wants. But Mordecai won't because he's a Jew, right? And so Haman wants to get back at Mordecai. But instead of just getting back at Mordecai, he decides he wants actually to kill all of the Jewish people. Again, something that happens throughout scripture. Um, so uh, anyway, he, he gets the king to sign off on killing all the Jews throughout the land on the, on the 12th month. Now, this is like the first month. So they have several months to go, okay, before this is going to happen. But they send out word throughout all the land. It's like sealed with a signet ring. Hey, on this day, you're allowed to go and kill the Jewish people and take all their stuff. And they're not allowed to fight back. Okay? So, of course, Mordecai is just a little bit upset about this. And uh, he rips his clothing. And, you know, it's the whole sack, sock, sackcloth and ashes. Um, and, of course, all throughout the land, all the Jewish people are very, very upset. Are we, are we all with me so far? Okay, And then what happens is uh, Mordecai sends to Esther. Now, when all of this has, has happened and the, the decree has gone out and all that kind of stuff, Esther is now the woman in favor. But even if you were the woman in favor, you still could, she still couldn't go to the king without him summoning her. If she did, she could be killed unless he you know, extended his scepter towards her. I mean, it was all just a very scary environment, okay? And keep in mind, this king is really sort of driven by the wind, okay? So Mordecai actually sends to her and says, you know, hey, this is your time. You're going to have to do something about this. Um, so let's start at... Turn to Esther and go to 4.13. So this is Mordecai talking to the messenger that's going to go and talk to Esther. It says, Mordecai told the messenger to reply to Esther, don't think that you will escape the fate that all the Jews, of all of the Jews because you are in the king's palace. If you keep silent at this time, liberation and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place. Can I stop there for a second? God's always going to take care of his people. Like even when you look at the political climate right now, God's heart is for his people. And you always want to be praying along with God's heart. You, you, do you understand what I'm saying? Because we're, we're part of that group now, right? Um, so he says, you know, God will bring deliverance from another place, but you and your father's house will be destroyed. Who knows? And again, this is one of the most famous verses from the book of Esther. Who knows, perhaps you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. 
it's so funny because I think often in our lives, we don't realize that even the things that seem really difficult, God can weave together to get us to the right place for the right time for such a time as this. And often, I think if we knew what God was doing, most of the time we'd stop fighting him and start participating. Right? But we just think, oh, well, you know, this just seems so random. Listen, God always has a plan. Right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. That's not just the person next to you. That's you. God has a plan for you. I think sometimes it would be really wise to go, God, am I fighting your plan or am I participating in it? Because sometimes God's plan does seem a little bit scary and a little bit like it could be heading towards death. Okay? Which it does for Esther at this moment because basically... Mordecai is saying, listen, you need to do this thing. You need to go into the king, even though he hasn't summoned you, and you need to reverse this. You're the only person who can do it, or your people get wiped out. And she knows in doing that, she's risking her life. But she actually chooses to honor and obey Mordecai. She honors his wisdom and she chooses to obey. So she says, okay, get everybody fast and I'm going to do it. And they launch this little plan. I like a lot of things about this story. Um, But one of the things I think that's like super encouraging, how many of you have ever been um, in the position where you know you're doing your very best and for whatever reason, you know that people are orchestrating things in the background that are not for your good, right? And you're like, I'm being totally misunderstood here. That is not what just happened. And you know, whatever, but you can't defend yourself and there's no way to reverse what's going on and you know that it's happening and there's not a stinking thing you can do about it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? This is actually what's going on in the background in this story. Because while she's trying to save her people, there's also something else going on. Haman is still trying to get Mordecai killed, right? Like first, not just wait for until the rest of them are killed. He wants him done now, right? So while the plan is afoot um, for Esther to bring uh, some sort of relief to the situation, you have this other plan that's going on. So... Um, let me start at chapter 5, verse 9. It says, That day, Haman left full of joy and in good spirits. He just gone for, he goes for two dinners with Esther and the king. Okay, now he has no idea why he's being invited to these dinners. He just thinks it's because he's cool and everybody likes him. He's going to find out something different soon. But at the moment, he thinks he's winning. Right? Listen, often right when it looks like they're winning, they're not. Okay? Really, you don't have to worry about it because God backs up his kids. Okay? So he's just come from this dinner and he's all excited. He's in good spirits. It says, but when Haman saw Mordecai at the king's gates and Mordecai did not rise or tremble in fear at his presence... Haman was filled with rage towards Mordecai. Yet Haman controlled himself and went home. He sent for his friends and his wife, Zeresh, nice, to join him. 
And then Haman described for them his glorious wealth and his many sons. He told them all how he, uh, he and the king had promoted, or how the king had promoted him in rank and given him a high position over the other officials in the royal staff. What's more, Haman added, Queen Esther invited no one but me to join the king at the banquet that she had prepared for him. I am invited again tomorrow to join her with the king. Still, none of this satisfies me since I see Mordecai the Jew sitting in the king's gates all the time. He might have some unresolved issues. So basically his wife and his friends advise him to build a 75-foot gallows and ask the king the next day to hang Mordecai. Now, it seems like, guys, Mordecai's going to win. He's, I mean, I'm sorry. He is going to win. It seems like Hammond's going to win, doesn't it? Right? It's like, ah! but he's got all this favor and the king listens to him and the... Ah! Oh, but God. I love the but gods. Did that come out wrong? Chapter six. That night, sleep escaped the king. (laughs) So he ordered the book recording daily events to be brought and read to the king. And they found written there the report of how Mordecai had informed on, these names are really unfortunate, Big Thana and Teresh. (laughs) Wow. Well, at least it wasn't a female. Uh, Two eunuchs who gathered the kings at the king's entrance when they planned to assassinate King Xerxes. And the king inquired, what honor and special recognition have been given to Mordecai for this act? And the king's personal attendants replied, nothing has been done for him. And so the king asked, hey, who's out in the court? And they say, Hammond's there. And we know Hammond's there because he wants to request what? For the king to kill Mordecai, right? So he has Hammond come in and he says to Hammond, Hammond, What should be done for somebody that the king wants to favor? Now, who does Hammond think the king is talking about? Himself, right? So he's like, well, a robe should be brought forth that the king has worn before, and a horse that the king has ridden, and catch this, a crown on the horse, not on the person. (laughs) I I got stuck on that for a bit. Like, how'd they make the crown stay? But anyway... (laughs) And then one of the princes of the land should be told to come in and to walk the, the horse throughout the land with this person that the king wants to honor on the back saying, this is the one whom the king most wants to honor. And the king says, that's an awesome idea. Go now, you do it to Mordecai. Now that had to sting. <laughs> right? You gotta think. I mean, Hammond was like, Awesome. Love to. Fantastic. Going to do it right now. Um, and it actually says, well, you can, you know, you can kind of read into it, but it, it actually says when, the, when he's actually done this, he basically goes home and licks his wounds. Like, <laughs> you have no idea what happened today. And then his family says, oh, 
if this Mordecai is a Jew, much worse things are going to happen to you for trying to mess with him. And it's true. So the next day he goes back and everybody knows what happens. Esther says to the king, you know, she, he asks again, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. What is it that you want? Why are we having these dinners? And she says, there's a plot against my people. They're trying to kill them all. They're trying to destroy them. He says, this is horrible. Who has done this? And she says, it's him. It's Haman. And then he leaves because he's so mad. The king leaves. And Mordecai starts begging the queen. Oh, please, please. And he's like basically hanging off her, begging her to spare his life. When Xerxes comes back in, he says, now you're going to molest the queen and has him hung on his own gallows. Has Haman hung on his own gallows. Did I say Mordecai again? Darn. So, what I think is even interesting just about that little bit is Haman wasn't actually molesting the queen. He was begging for his life. But he was, his actions were misunderstood just like, like he had maligned the actions of Mordecai. So he's, yeah, exactly. He's actually reaping what he's sown. But it earns him death because that's what makes the king go, that's it, kill him. Interesting. Here's the things that we learn from Esther. I think the two keys to her actually saving her people are that she honored and obeyed Mordecai. That went down like a rat sandwich. She, she honored Mordecai. Mordecai said, you need to go and you need to stand up for your people. And, and who knows, maybe you're here for such a time as this. Mordecai knows what he's asking of her. She's risking her life. But she chooses to honor and she chooses to obey Mordecai. And that is what actually frees her people because the king reverses the order. In fact, he even goes one better. He says, they're allowed to attack those that try and attack them and take all of their stuff too. You know, he like sends out something saying, raise arms and be ready. And if they try and come for you, kill them and take all theirs. I mean, he's, you know. <clears throat> Let's move on to Ruth, shall we? Wait, let me ch check my scribbles. Yeah, to go back to, to Hammond for just a second and his little plots. You know, we talked about how many of us have experienced the thing where something's going on behind you. And there's nothing you can do about it. Except for ask God to intervene. How many of you have ever had that scenario going on? right? It's a total bummer. And you kind of want to, you wish you could broadcast something, you know, no, I didn't do it. I misunderstood. I'm glorious, you know. But here's the thing. God loves to bring things into the light. He does. Things will come into the light. They sure did for Hammond. It got brought into the light what was actually happening. So if you're in a moment where you feel like, Lord, I, I feel so misunderstood. I feel like 
stuff is going on in the background to make me look bad or, you know, whatever. Really, you don't have to do anything about it. All you have to do is trust God. Sometimes that's harder. Right? Trusting God, obeying God, listening to God, those things are all way harder when things are in a rough place. It's really easy to honor and obey people that are in authority when everything's going the right direction. It's a lot harder when that person stands up and goes, I think it would be better if you... I've had lots of those moments in my life. Because I can honestly say that I've chosen to walk underneath godly authority for 22 years at this point. Now, before that, I would probably more accurately say I fought against authority and I would talk about them behind their backs. And even if I didn't say anything out loud in my heart, I would grumble against them. But about 22 years ago, I decided to start trusting the people that God had put in my life to love me back to life. And at that time, it was John and Carol. And there were tons of moments where they were saying, that thing there, God wants that thing there. And I'm like, or actually, I think maybe you need to sit aside for a season and do this. And I'd be like, bye. But every single time that I chose to honor, God actually brought the fruit out that he wanted. And, and there were a couple of times when I chose not to honor right away. And then you just end up in a stalemate until you do choose to honor. Just, I know, it's a bit of a... Um, uh, plot killer. I told you the thing that happens at the end before it happens, but that's just what happens. We don't get a reward for listening to authority when they're only saying exactly what we want to do. It's great when they are saying exactly what we're going to do. That's awesome, right? But sometimes they're going to go, and we're going to go, <sighs> okay. God always honors us as we honor. He really does. Even when it doesn't make sense to us at the moment. So let's look at Ruth for a second. I regret to inform you that are not enjoying this message that Ruth essentially has the exact same keys to favor in her life. <laughs> See, they're leaving already. It's really sad. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. Just kidding. Potty break. I understand. Um... Essentially, it's honor and obedience, right? So Ruth, Ruth was basically known for her attitude, her great attitude. But for the story of Ruth, Ruth ends up, I can't pronounce any of these people's names. It's like Malon and Killian are the sons. And then it's Mimilek or Mim, that guy, okay, is the dad. Anyway... The emo guy marries Naomi, and there's a famine, and so they go to Moab. And they have two sons, and their sons marry Moabite women. And then all three of the men die. That, by the way, is a bad year. Um, so they all die. And Naomi decides that she's going to return to her people. She's going to return to Judah. 
And um, the daughters, to begin with, they come with her, but then she actually encourages them, go back. There's still a chance for you to marry someone else, to have kids. They, they have no kids. They have no one who can later on in life take care of them. Okay? So the, um, Naomi says, hey, guys, go back. Like, go and have a life. And so... I want to say Oprah, but that wasn't her name. It's like missing an R or something. Opa or something like that. She, she does agree to go back and she goes back, okay? But Ruth stays with Naomi. Now, I think it's because Ruth realizes Naomi on her own, how does she survive? How does she make the trip? How does she take care of herself? Ruth's young enough that she can actually go out there and do some physical labor and that kind of stuff. Naomi probably isn't, okay? And so Ruth says... Let your people be my people. Let your God be my God. And she goes with her. Right? Everybody know the story so far? And so as they go, again, favor follows Ruth. Right? So they get there. And one morning, Ruth gets up and she says, I'm going to go into the fields and I'm going to glean. So that basically meant that they would st- she would stay behind those that were harvesting and pick up any little bits that she could in order to be able to feed her and Naomi. Okay? And as she does that, she ends up in Boaz's field. And the very, it says she's there, she's in that field, and Boaz notices her, which is very cool. Um... So let's go here for a second. Let's go to Ruth 2, verse 8. So Boaz has noticed her in the field and goes over and talks to her. And it says, Boaz said to Ruth, listen, my, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my young woman. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars that the young men have filled. She bowed with her face to the ground and said to him, Why are you so kind to notice me, although I am a foreigner? Boaz answered her, Everything that you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother and the land of your birth and how you came to a people that you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done, and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. What she had chosen to do to serve somebody that was an authority above her, granted, who she obviously loved, God was now honoring out in the open. And she was a Moabite. She was a foreigner, which would make her somebody that they didn't necessarily want to associate with. But he was not only wanting to associate with her, but actually making room. He later tells his harvesters, leave lots behind. So she gets lots. So she doesn't have to work hard for anything. Have her come in for food. Like he's, he's totally taking care of her. And then later on, Naomi says, which this is a whole kind of bizarre thing, but for those of you that know where I'm going, um, You know, Naomi says, go and lay at his feet and ask him to be your kinsman redeemer. So there's something in Leviticus called a kinsman redeemer. And basically what it was for was if a woman got married and the husband died, 
she could go to a family member of the husband and ask him to redeem the dead man's family line by giving her a child in the hopes that that child will be able to take care of her and be able to take over the inheritance and all that kind of stuff, okay? Awkward. Um, for sure. <laughs> so, but she, she, so Naomi's like, so you got to think, this is not Moabite culture. She's totally just honoring Naomi and going, okay, this is what we do. I'm going to brush my hair and woohoo, here we go. And, um, and, he, and she even tells her like, you know, put on perfume and go and just lie at his feet. So he wakes up in the middle of the night and there's a woman lying at his feet. Now granted, he's met her before. Um, <laughs> Alan says it reminds me of how we met. <laughs> Does it though? <laughs> um, so, so there she is, she's lying at his feet and she asks him to be the kinsman redeemer. Now he actually says, I'm not your first kinsman redeemer. I'm not your closest relative. Because actually with her would come any land that Naomi had or that the sons had been given, all that kind of stuff, right? So if you're going to be the kinsman redeemer, you get all the land, but you also have to provide an heir or try to anyway, okay? Um, <laughs> leave it there. Okay, so I was just about to go inappropriate. I, was, I felt your, your inappropriateness coming and I was just going to channel it. Yes, uh, so... Anyway, so uh, he goes and he goes to the city gate and he has like all the elders there and he calls the actual guy who's supposed to be able to redeem her if he wants to. And so he says, um, Naomi's returned and she has a plot of land and it's yours if you want it. And he's like, well, then I shall have it, you know. And he says, oh, but with it comes the Moabite. Now he knows that's not like a good thing to any Israelite. Oh, by the way, you get the foreigner. And you have to give her a child. And he says, oh, no, that's going to mess with my own inheritance, with my kids. You can have her. Boaz is smart. And so then Boaz goes and actually marries her. And they have a child called Obed. Interesting. Obed is the father of Jesse. Jesse is the father of David. So they have a child that is in the line of Jesus, who's the ultimate kinsman redeemer. Again, it's out of Ruth choosing to honor and choosing to obey, even when she didn't understand the customs and it seemed really awkward. That God brought about a restoration, and a redemption. God actually likes us to operate in obedience. He loves us to operate in obedience to him and to honor and listen to people that are in authority that he has placed there. Even if it's not popular. Here's the thing. This is just sort of the, the musings of my heart, perhaps in jumbled form. I think often the reason that people are 
building theologies that take authority out of the mix is because they've been hurt by authority and haven't processed their wounding. Because we do that in all kinds of areas of our lives, don't we? When you have an area where you get hurt or you don't understand why God moved a certain way, often we build a theology that makes whatever that was okay and we move on. But it's not necessarily a theology that lines up with scripture. Right? We do it with stuff like, why aren't we getting healed? We do it with all kinds of things. And I think, granted, lots of people have been hurt by people in authority. I have too. I get that. So I'm definitely saying you want to be looking for people to get underneath that you know are the kind of people that love God, that listen to God, that... um, are going to love you well, are not just like in it to say, hey, stock chairs. Because I've met leaders like that too. But I'll tell you something, even honoring those leaders, God will honor you. I have been in situations, and I'll leave names out, but I've been in situations where I've had people in authority over me for a season that I would say, honestly, we're spiritually abusive. And in the midst of those seasons, I'm not saying I enjoyed them, I didn't. And I felt misunderstood and I felt maligned and I was like, I wanna give up. But every single one of those situations, and there was a couple, the Lord brought the truth out eventually. Every single one. And every single one, I was so glad in the end that I had chosen to just honor and believe that God was somehow going to do something. And it was a big death process. But honestly, I learned a lot. I also learned a lot about the kind of stuff I don't want to do to other people. Leaders will make mistakes. Yep. We will. We have. I know that we hurt people. I hope that we're really fast to apologize when we know. I mean, that's the best I can do is go, I'm so sorry. Let, can we process this together? Does that make sense? There's not perfect people out there that aren't going to hurt you. But I absolutely know God will honor you as you honor those that he's placed above you. Here's an interesting thought for you. Jesus honored delegated authority even though he was the son of God. Right? Jesus went and got baptized by John the Baptist. Remember the whole argument? No, I should be baptized. No, no, you should be baptized. No, no. But actually he chose to honor earthly authority and get baptized by John. And that's actually when all the miracles started happening was right after that. Just so you know. Here's the thing. I really think that obedience and honor, and I know obedience, I don't know if obedience is exactly the word I want to use there, but let's let's maybe more focus on honor. Releases you into your destiny. Because that's what causes you to walk in favor, and favor releases you into destiny. 
one of the things that makes me the most concerned when I see people not walking under authority isn't part of it is the whole you're not under a covering who's protecting you you're wide open folks but it's not just that it's you're short-circuiting your destiny because unless you're walking underneath authority or you're not going to have access to your destiny and what if your destiny is not just about you but it's about your kids or, or your grandkid who's going to be a king? Or what if your destiny is about a nation? What if the test that God's asking you to pass now is actually a lot more important than you think it is? So here's, here's my thoughts. Well, let me say this, and I don't, maybe, baby, you can help me with this, but I was thinking about when I, when I worked for National Car Rental, and I worked for them for about four and a half years, um, when I started there, I, my interview was with the, the president and the VP operations, and when I sat down with them the first time, they said, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to be in full-time ministry, and I believe the Lord's told me I'll be in it in five years. So until then, you have 150%. But when God says go, I'm gone. And they said, cool, we'll take it. We'll take your five years. And I was like, cool. And um, I remember a couple months in, I was working in a, in a different department. And one of the people that was over me told me to lie. Tricky. Tricky, right? Not tricky, but I'm like, okay, God says don't lie. This guy says lie. And at that point I had to go, okay, God, this one's in your arms to protect me because I'm not going to do it. But I was really clear. Can't do that. That's lying. And he said, I'm going to go talk to Vince. I'll have you fired. And I said, you can do that if you want. But I can't do what you're asking me to do. Okay, I'm going to go back to work now. So I went back to work. So he did go in to try and get me fired. And Vince said, what happened? And he didn't really say exactly how it happened. And Vince actually said to the guy, so you asked her to lie. And he said, well, you know, he said, you asked her to lie. And um, he's like, well, yeah, but it's the best thing or whatever. And he said, she won't lie and I won't fire her for it. And that was it. The whole thing was over. <laughs> it's like, <sighs> you know. There's, I mean, I'm not saying that if somebody in authority tells you to do something that's against scripture to do it. But I think there's a way to still honor people and do what God's asked you to do in the midst of it. Does that make sense? Let God have your back and just check your attitude at the door and try and do your best to be where God's asked you to be at the moment and be the person God's asked you to be in that place. Um. So here's, here's my thought for you. I actually thought it would be fun to take a minute to ask the Lord, God, who have you asked me to be under authority with? Like who, who have you placed in my life to speak into my life and to call me to life? And I would say, put it, write it down on your phone. I'll tell you why. 
Because it could be that a couple months from now, that very same person might disagree with you about something and say, ooh, I feel like God is saying this. And, that, and you don't want to go, oh, God never said that person in the first place. Oh, I just chose them myself. <laughs> do, you know what, do you know what? I mean, come on. We want to do stuff like that, don't we? Just me. So take a second and just be like, okay, Lord, who have you placed in my life that you want me to receive from and walk underneath? Now, please understand by walk underneath, I do not mean you're a peon at all. I mean, these people are supposed to be people that call you to life and call you to destiny. So if you have your phone or something, you can write it in. Go ahead and just write down whoever that is. For some of you, it might be your parents. For some of you, you might have three or four different people. It's my parents, and then it's this person, and it's that person. Or you, know, or you can say, Lord, I have no idea. Could you bring these people in my life because I want to walk under authority? Here's, here's sort of my final thing before I ask Alan if he wants to add anything. Please do not be the people that dishonor government. Whether you like the people in power at the moment right now or not, God has delegated them authority. Pray for them. Quit posting stuff on Facebook about them. Right? Our job is to pray and to not be part of the people that are trying to tear them down, but actually people that are saying, Lord, you can awaken them in their, you know, you can keep them awake at night and remind them of things. You can do amazing things. You can turn this around. Lord, would you work in this person's life as opposed to being part of the people that are, you know, trying to rip them down? Babe, do you want to add anything wise? Sage-like. Is that the right word? Nope. Shanked. Let's do this. Why don't we stand? Father, I thank you for this incredible group of people. And Lord, I thank you that you have a plan and a destiny for every single beating heart in this room. And Lord, I ask that you would even now be orchestrating and organizing things for their blessing, for their favor, and for their release into their destiny. Lord, I ask for each person in this room, God, that you would raise up safe leaders that would love them enough to challenge them, but also love them enough to open doors for them. Wow. And God, I ask that you would help us as people who are under authority to respond well to authority, to be teachable, to be able to hear and respond well. And Lord, I ask for, um, for any of us that are experiencing that thing where others are talking and saying things and we have no way of defending ourselves, God, that you would bring things to the light.
God, I thank you that you really do love us and you, you're in the details. You know what's going on. And so, God, would you make us people that know how to walk in righteousness, that know how to walk in favor, that know how to walk in honor, and that do it well. Yeah. Yeah, in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I get you to have a seat again for a second? If you are currently... um, in some level of authority over other people, whether it's at your job or whether it's you're leading a small group or you're in some sort of church leadership, would you stand? So can you guys all stretch your hands towards everybody that's standing? Father, we bless these people with wisdom. God, we bless them with your eyes to see people as they are, to see the callings that you've placed within people, to see the giftings, to see where they need to be loved back to life. God, I ask that you would give us as leaders your eyes to see others. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And Lord, I ask also for these leaders, God, for any that have just sort of gotten a bit sheep bitten by people that are around them or people that have said things. Lord, I ask that you would restore us. God, that you would just pull out any little arrows that we've received. Wow. Lord, that you would help us to be full of love and not uh, cynical or demanding or anything like that. God, that we would be people that love well the people that you've placed in front of us to love. And we thank you that you're working in our lives and you're not done with us yet. Yeah. I want you, if you're standing, to say this. I give myself permission to not be perfect, to learn how to apologize, wow, and to learn how to love well. And I ask for your help because I need it. (laughs) In Jesus' name. (laughs) Amen. Faith, life, communication, tacos and video games. Paleo donuts and the kindness of God are things we deal with every day. From Franklin, Tennessee, they are just like you and me. Keeping up with the Joneses, keeping up with the Joneses Sharing their life experiences Keeping up with the Joneses, keeping up with the Joneses They talk about faith in God And everything under the sun If you are a human being There's something here for everyone